people of the world, hello and welcome to the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, where our purpose is a simple one. Tune into our weekly podcast each Friday, wherever you listen to your favorite programs or on this website to hear us, three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice as the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. To reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions, we're at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, the Facebook group of the same name, and if you care to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Also, stay tuned for details about our upcoming news and perspective show on Millennium TV's M24 streaming news station. Hey, we're rolling along toward the end of the COVID-19 pandemic and what will be our new standards of normal. So we welcome you once again as we maintain our commitment to keep the focus on Black economic empowerment and critical thinking. We're continuously grateful for your time and your comments, and we can't thank you enough for growing this Brothers Talk family by spreading the word. Our nationwide campaign, relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide, keeping the emphasis on each and every one of us doing our part, one household at a time, to take control of our communities by launching and supporting Black businesses. If you're new to the podcast, we're glad to have you in the mix. And if you want to know more about the positive impact that we've been blessed to have, check out our continually growing Facebook groups, hashtag Black Dollars Matter and relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide with over 4,000 members to see dozens of stories of new Black entrepreneurs, young and old, in all kinds of businesses. Now, let's be clear, even though we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, we're still not there yet. And for some reason, it's a struggle to get the coronavirus vaccines, which is just one more example. Let's keep pressing forward to keep getting those shots and demanding that our governments do better, especially as it relates to our seniors who are the most at-risk group and easily the most overlooked by a system that should never have been so reliant on the internet in the first place. Don't forget to check on our seniors to find out if they need help and how you can help them get vaccinated. Can't say this enough, but the sooner we all get vaccinated, the sooner we can start getting together again like we used to without endangering anyone, especially our precious elders. Young people, we know you may think of yourself as invincible, but these variants are attacking your age groups much more so than the original versions. So even though you're healthy, remember you just might be a carrier who's asymptomatic and you could infect the most vulnerable among us and the death toll from coronavirus is still way too high. Don't you be the death of anyone, so go out and get that vaccine. And now my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Norm. Hey family, thanks for your continued support. We need you to get out there and get that shot. We need you to support each other, keep supporting each other, and uplift each other. And go out there and support Black businesses. Uh, I just wanted to remind everybody about the uh, Black Wall Street program that we've instituted and how we it's on a micro level. So everyone personally, household, what have you, let's keep that in mind. And I'm going to hold myself accountable here. I have not done all I can do. And I just wanted to put that back out there again, so that we, just as a reminder that we're focused on building our communities house by house, block by block. As we continue our conversation on education this week, here's another reason that is critically important to our communities. There are two vitally important stories that support this initiative and the connection to both is education. On the one hand, you have the surge in violence that no matter what the NRA says, 
is simply a matter of too many guns and not enough controls or enforcement of the existing laws on gun ownership. And on the other hand, there are 43 states that are at some stage of passing some 253 voter suppression rules. The connection to both is simple. These are issues that require the ability to read and process what we need to do to keep the other side from winning. When you can't understand or you don't follow what the racists are doing in some instances to make it easier to own a gun than to vote, you're undermining our own communities. And when your vote is effectively taken away from you, it means every negative thing that the white power structure wants to do to us will leave us powerless to do anything about it, even when they are no longer the majority. We have to treat education as the valuable commodity that it is. And to that end, we're very pleased to have another of my brothers in the struggle and in ministry with us today, Reverend Douglas Moore. Not from nothing, but look around and see how few black men are able to secure employment as teachers in our educational system. And you know why we're so happy to have Brother Doug with us. He has a BA from Clark Atlanta University and his Masters of Divinity from New Brunswick Theological Seminary. He has 30 years of teaching experience, including eight in Newark Public Schools in New Jersey and the last 20 in the Montclair, New Jersey public school system. Brother Doug has helped to develop and modify the school curriculum to expand on African-American history and global studies. He currently teaches ninth grade global studies in African-American history to 11th and 12th graders. His year-round commitment includes teaching first and second graders in the Fountain Baptist Church Summer Enrichment Program. And to completely round out this discussion after we took on the hypocrisy of sports as related to education last week, Reverend Moore also has 15 years of high school football coaching experience where he provided academic support for student athletes. Doug, say hello to the Brothers Talk family. Good afternoon, family. It's indeed a pleasure to be here with you. I am a fan of the show and I'm just so honored and excited to be here. And just thank you for having me. Rod, Scott, and Norm. Thank you. Well, let's get right to it. We've established the scarcity of black male teachers. So as one of the few, what are the challenges that you see to reversing that trend and why should we care? Um, well, I think we should care because we have a lot of African-American students in our public school systems and we have a lot of, a lot of young brothers um, in our school systems. And all the studies show that, you know, when you have People that look like you who are concerned about your education, concerned about your welfare present in the building, it transforms the environment. It transforms the uh, attitudes and the mindsets of some of the students who may be having some struggles, whether academically or socially. And it, it also shows that it can it can be done. I think back to when I was you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s. And all, you know, I remember practically every African-American teacher that I had growing up. I was fortunate to grow up in a district that had a number of African-American teachers. And it was a different type of dynamic because the teachers also lived in the community. And we remember those times as well, don't we, fellas, when the teachers lived in your, you know, in your hometown. So I'm going to see him at the supermarket and, and a lot of times see him in church. So for me, I grew up at a time when, and we grew up at a time when teachers were, you know, a part of a, a part of your community. And now it's not like that with, you know, with soaring home values and changing neighborhoods and communities and gentrification. You know, you're having to pull from wider and and wider wider places. And unfortunately, as you do that, your schools very often become less diverse. Because I, I look at 
where I teach now. And we had more black teachers in 1984 than we have in 2021. You know, and it's important because there's also the relational component. How do you set expectations? Um, not only do how in terms of how do you set set learning expectations, but how do you interpret behavior? And we know how me, how more likely um, African American students, young men and young w- women, are to be suspended. And a lot of that comes from teachers who are afraid of black children, have contempt for black children, and really, you know, have no interest nor desire in educating black children. So. We need black people in the schools because black kids need advocates. Black kids need, need, need black teachers to have their backs. Black kids need black teachers who are going to stand with them and stand for them and intercede on, on the, on their behalf. Because too often the school is a hostile environment for black children. I'm not saying that it's like that all the time, but you know, when I look at some of the issues, that some of the students that I've known over my 30 years of teaching have had with teachers, you know, the common denominator is race. So, you know, we need more teachers that can work with and understand our children. And if you come from the same cultural context and you, if you come from the same cultural context, that helps. And then you couple that with high expectations because, you know, that's, that's part of the problem. A number of teachers don't have high expectations for our children. They don't believe that they can learn. They don't believe they can write. They don't believe they can do advanced mathematics or science. And when they look at them, they look at them as if they can't learn. They look at them as if they come from families with parents who are uneducated. You know, there are just a whole, there's just a whole list of negative assumptions. You know, you you said something that was really profound when you said that the way the school system and schools are to the negative connotation but black children. And all of the things that you said, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be a teacher. And the reason I went into teaching is my mom said to me, hey, you need to go in there and be a teacher to give back to the community. That's what inspired me to go into teaching. So my question to you is, what do you think other than money? How do we change this trajectory? How do we change this, this perception that, that teaching is not a profession that black folks want to go into? You know, being a teacher yourself, I'm pretty sure you've thought about how do we get more black folks into this perfection? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I believe that one thing that your mom said is something that my, my mom said, because I'm, I'm the child of educators and my parents always saw education as a means of, of contributing to the black community, giving to your community, because both my mom and dad worked in purely urban context. My, my dad worked in Newark for 35 years and my mom worked in East Orange for about 35, about 35 years. So I think they're always, you know, we always have to have that notion of giving back to the community. I think that that can definitely be served within an educational context, but I think that it's, it's, we have to, get young people into a place where they're willing to look at some of the things that they encountered in their educational life and experience and harness that for motivation to get into education. And unfortunately, I know a number of students who I've, you know, who I've talked to about getting into teaching. I said, you know, you'll be a great teacher. 
You know, I see how you deal with your classmates. I see how you're patient. I see how you're willing to give and what have you. You know, you would be a, you would be a, a fantastic teacher. But, you know, one of the main things is that a lot of our kids have had horrible experiences in school and their school experience has turned them off from education. I haven't done any empirical research, but in the, you know, in the host of conversations I've had over the years, the, the, the one of the main things is, you know, is not the money or anything like that. But a lot of the kids I've spoken to over the years, young people, brothers and sisters, they said, you know, I don't want anything to do with the school. The school was whack. My teachers were racist. Nobody cared. Nobody listened to them, you know, and then they'll have the, you know, exceptions. Well, except for you, Mr. Moore or you know, miss so-and-so or this person or that person. But overall, when they look back over their experience, you know, their, their school experience, they just look at it as something that they want to move away from. And what I try to get young people to understand is that they can, you know, they can make a difference. And I know it sounds corny, but if, if you can be a part of that, if you can get into the profession, you can, I really do believe that you can change the profession because I actually have you know, seeing that happen in a limited context. And that that saddens me because I think that we can and should do a lot more in terms of improving the educational experiences of Black children. And one of the things is we have to do a better job of recruiting kids. And the other thing I would add is I think that we need to use our clubs and organizations like Future Educators of America. Be, we need to be more intentional in terms of recruiting. I mean, usually, you know, it's an interest-based club, so they kind of have to profess an interest. But as a teacher, I would recruit. I would ask, hey, you know, you should consider this club. And, you know, it gives you, it gives them exposure to another side of the profession. The other thing I would mention is I would like to see something done on the college level to maybe nationalize certification to make it easier. For instance, like students who graduate from HBCUs, if you graduate with your degree in education, if we had some type of um, certification that even though you would obtain teaching degree in Georgia, that you could have some type of certification that would enable you to be hired in New Jersey. You know, if we could create some type of vehicle, I mean, we do have a national certification body, but in order to be a part of that process, you are, you have to be, you, you know, you have to have taught for at least three to five years. So you already have to be in the profession before you enter in the process of becoming nationally certified. So I think if we could open up more roads within places where black students are, I think that would be helpful too. I mean, I think we need to expand because when we look at our disciplines, our academic disciplines, they're the same from the East Coast to the West Coast. Trig Trigonometry is no different in California than it is in Arkansas. You know, why can't we have some type of national certification? And because I believe if, if there were easier inroads for um, African Americans. And I mean, I mean, it would benefit all people, but, you know, specifically, you know, when I look at our students who major in education in, in their age, you know, at their respective um, HBCUs, you know, I had to go to through the alternate route program because as you know, I earned my, my degree in Georgia. So I had to come up to New Jersey and go through a whole uh, process, which, you know, go through the alternate route certification process, which involves um, time, money and coursework. I mean, and that's that's fine, too. So we do have some things available, but I think if we could get them coming out of college, that would be helpful. Douglas, um, again, I want to welcome you on the show. Thank you, Norm. Thank you.
But please, whatever you do, do not confuse me and Scott. <laughs> I apologize. There I you apologize. <laughs> but I have a, you know, on, a, on one of our previous shows, I think Rod had a great idea of forming an, an organization just for ab- advocacy of Black students, mm-hmm. where we could actually step in or the organization could step in and deal with a lot of issues that parents aren't able to deal with and students aren't able to deal with. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that you it's always good to have advocates. And that's actually a position. We have a number of um, students who are, you know, who have special needs. And there is a person that families can hire that is known as an advocate that can come in, you know, at the behest of the parent and sit in on, you know, now this is just in a special needs context, but they can sit in on parent meetings and conferences and they have, and they're allowed to see the students' records, I, you know, IEPs, all those things. And they are actually, in a position to literally advocate on behalf of the student and the family. I definitely think that we always need advocacy groups for African-American children. I mean, it's just just working out the shape and form and in what context, but is it needed? Absolutely. Because we know that in the public schools, we know that the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but we also know that there is perception. And when in public education, the common perception is white folks are concerned, black folks are complaining. So, you know, sometimes we we need support within the context of public schools so that African-American parents are taken seriously and that they're respected because a number of parents will not come to the school to to advocate for their child because of their experiences as students in school and where they may or may not be. In life, unfortunately, they feel as if they are not even qualified to advocate on behalf of their child, which we all know is, is not right. And they're, you know, they're absolutely wrong. But we have a very often we have parents because of their experiences and their fears and insecurities, um, removing themselves away from advocating, you know, for their child. And that's what, that's what your kids need. And sometimes if you have an advocacy organization, Yes, you could advocate for the children, but an advocacy group can also help parents, help to encourage them, help to educate them and build them up to a point where they can and will feel confident in advocating uh, for their child. And maybe people from that advocacy group can accompany, you know, a parent to a meeting or something of that nature if they feel uncomfortable navigating that situation. But absolutely, we, we always need to organize. And we always need to be in a position of readiness and willingness when it comes to advocating uh, for our children in the public schools. All right. Well, thank you so much, my brother, for shedding even more light on this crucial topic. And as always, our hope and prayer that we prime the well for so much more conversation amongst the Brothers Talk family and beyond. Our positive Black experience this week comes from Norm. Well, I had a great opportunity today to help out a small black business in my community. I decided to have breakfast there just to give them a little support. And I had a a delicious omelet, great breakfast. And I noticed that their price was extremely low compared to the other restaurants in the area. And I told the manager this, and I suggested that she just raise it a a few dollars. It it wouldn't hurt anyone. It would actually help her. And um, she decided to give me the price that she quoted me, but I, I, I gave them the difference in a tip. 
But I just want to point out, even when the price is too high, is is usually the complaint that we have with black businesses. When you notice that a price is just not aligned with the rest of the industry in the area, it's good to point that out and to give them that support because that's the only way they're going to survive. Hey, thanks, Norm. That is a really relevant point that we need to be smart consumers on both sides in helping black businesses to succeed. Don't forget to go and sign Dr. Walter Palmer's petition to have racism declared a national health emergency because the stress of racism is gradually killing us even when we do all the right things to preserve our health. So go to thewdpalmerfoundation.org to get more information, volunteer, donate, or get involved in some way, but definitely sign the petition so that he can get the one million signatures needed to get the government to put a focus on reparations and the impact of racism on us. Once again, our special thanks to Reverend Douglas Moore, educator, minister, activist, and charter member of the Brothers Talk family for coming in to help us put a cap on this series of podcasts dealing with the education of our kids in our communities during a pandemic. So thanks a lot, Doug, and we hope to have you back in the very near future. Thanks again to all of the Brothers Talk family and stay tuned for details to catch more of us on our streaming TV show on M24 News and our very own YouTube channel. So stay tuned for more details. And as always, quick reminder that if you want to share your thoughts with us, there's the Brothers Talk group on Facebook. And if you want more information about our 12-point relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide plan, you can also email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and like our Facebook page. So in closing, God bless you all for your time, your support, and you always have our absolute commitment that we'll never take it or you for granted. So remember, let's do better today because that's all we really have.